The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard about the beheading of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Good and gracious God. We give you thanks for your presence among us that brings your compassion to heal. We ask that you would open our hearts that we might be bold and understand your generosity and abundance. Amen. So, the Old Testament text that we have for today, it's been interesting uh, Thursday mornings, anybody who wants to come, 10.30, we have a Bible study in my office. We look at these texts uh, in advance of the Sunday. And this summer in particular, it's been interesting as we take this Old Testament set of readings that we don't normally look at and see how the extent to which they match or line up with the gospel text. And there are a couple of themes that jump out, but one in particular is someone who is alone in a deserted place. It's fascinating in the gospel text that Jesus sets out to do something and fails. He seeks to go off by himself to rest to a deserted place. Sounds like he's successful for about five minutes, and then everybody comes over. In the Old Testament reading, we have Jacob on his own for the first time in a while. So we remember the story as he's worked 14 years for his now father-in-law in in order to marry two of the daughters, although that wasn't the original plan as he went into it. His story is one of being cheated and being the one who cheats, and yet now he's on even ground. He's been left by himself, and he wrestles all night long. It's interesting because just like in the gospel text, those who come and encounter God are changed forever. Now, we might think of Jacob being changed forever in the sense that his hip was put out of joint and he had a limp for the rest of his life. And we perhaps don't want to sign up for that kind of life-altering change 
when we encounter God, but his name has also been changed. As we read in Genesis and in the Old Testament in general, these names have a power, and his name now is Israel. God prevails. It's kind of a, an interesting term as Jacob moves forward and as he is blessed through life and we see that he eventually will have 12 sons. Think of the musical about his son with the multicolored jacket as we will get into the next generation. But this image of God blessing is something that happens in the gospel text as well. When we have Jesus showing up, there's kind of this parenthetical. Sometimes the gospel reading just starts out with the word he, or when he had heard this, and we're kind of like, well, what, what was this? The this in today's text is about the death of John the Baptist, but I think it's important when we look it up in the Bible that you see two stories of almost equal length, one right after the other, both about meals, completely different from one another. In the first story, King Herod is throwing a party, a feast, for all of his high-powered friends, and everybody is having a great time, and his stepdaughter even dances for the crowd, which is a bit scandalous. And she does such a great job that to boast in front of everyone, he says, anything you want. And after consulting her mother, who was not a fan of John the Baptist, she asks for John the Baptist's death. So that's one feast. And then we get today's text. I can easily picture now the shores of the lake where people might have gathered, big open spaces. We think of Jesus going to a place where nobody's going to be there. He needs some time alone, but he's become so famous that nobody will leave him alone. And I want you to think a, <clears throat> a little bit about the crowd that is chasing him around. It's a crowd that didn't bring lunch. It's a crowd that left home without planning. It's a crowd that shows up and looks bad. You notice that Jesus' response when he sees them is that he has compassion on them. And then the text does not say that he gave them an amazing sermon with ten steps to change their lives. He doesn't do some miracle like changing water into wine or doing something like that. He doesn't do a lot of the things that Jesus does but he does a key thing that he always does. He has compassion on them and healed their sick. I think in the back of my mind, this story gets awfully close in my head to the story of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I kind of pictured all the people being in one place and maybe leaving at intermissions, but coming back, and we're kind of one scene to the next to the next but there's no preaching here. There's no sermon. There's no great story. There's no parable. It is a rough-looking and I would say desperate 
at the end of their rope kind of crowd who has chased Jesus out of town in the desperate hope that their mother, their child, their sister, their brother might be healed. That's the kind of crowd. They're standing up, they're milling around, they're calling out his name. We can picture him spending the bulk of a day wandering from one family group to another, hearing their story, touching the sick, which was something you didn't do either, and healing them from place to place to place. But now let's go to our part of the story, the disciples, tagging along behind, wondering how this is all going to go out. You can picture them in the back, kind of watching their watches as they're looking at the sun going down, or perhaps their own stomachs are starting to rumble. And you have the sense that in the back, there's this kind of murmuring going on and saying, you know, this is, this is nice, but the lunch that I brought is not going to feed all of these people. <laughs> we need a better plan. And so you can kind of picture after a several hours of this going on, that one of the disciples finally works up the nerve to go forward and tap Jesus on the shoulder and say, What's the plan? How is this going to work? You know, it's, it's getting kind of late. It's not the most mobile of groups. We ought to give them plenty of time to get into town so that they could bring, you know, get some food, or this is going to get ugly if we don't get on top of this. And I love the way Jesus responds to them. Feed them? Well, you feed them. <laughs> you know, we didn't, we didn't plan for that, Jesus. You know, you know 5,000 plus people, this is a lot of bodies here. That wasn't in our plan, and we only have these two fish and these five loaves. It's an interesting story on a number of levels. But one thing that I think is important to note at this point is that it is the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. Why this one? It's not, you know, something overly dramatic, you know, death to life sort of thing. But there is this sense of this hunger that is there, both physical and spiritual. But in this story, it seems like an emphasis on the physical. The thing that I think is interesting is that the disciples are looking at what they have and they're measuring that up against the problem and they're saying, this, this can't be done. Isn't that the way we operate a lot though? We look at what God has given us and we look at how we perceive the problem and we say, God, there's not enough here. We can't be as generous as you would like us to be because we only have this much. How in the world are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to do what you have called us to do? How are we as individuals going to be who you have called us to be? 
How is it possible that we as a community of faith can fully live into what you have called us to be? Because we only have two fish and five loaves. One of the things that I think is interesting in the story at this point is Jesus doesn't let the disciples off the hook. Jesus tells them to bring what they have. He blesses it. He breaks it. He starts distributing. We start seeing, ah, I see it. We can picture this kind of Eucharistic, communion-like moment. I can't recall many instances, in fact, any off the top of my head, where we've done communion and run out. I don't know how miraculous that is, or if it's more of a planning sort of thing, or are those necessarily different by definition? I don't think they always are. But as we look at this story, Jesus still has the disciples feed them. And it's fascinating that Jesus breaks the bread, starts distributing it to the disciples, they feed everyone, and end up with this obscene amount of food left over afterwards. This same meal where they only had two fish and five loaves, there's no way. And not only do they have enough to do the task, but it's and then some. I think as we hear this story, we're kind of called into this sense of generosity that God embodies for us. We think back to the story of the sower who's throwing seed all over the path, the rocky ground and the thorns on the soil. This kind of crazy generousness that God is about. But this story challenges us as well. We're not off the hook from being the ones to go out and help those in need, to distribute, to give what God has blessed us with. But I think the greater challenge is to not look at the challenges that God has given us and look at our limits, but rather look at God's generosity and what God has called us to be about God will provide for. It's not always easy. We're not called to be irresponsible. But God is with us. And God will give what is needed for what God calls us to be about. So as you hear this story, hear about God's concern for our physical well-being, our nourishment, our health, but hear also that God still commissions us to go, and God gives us all that we need to do the task. Amen.